Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study, What's in a Name? What's in a Name dives into the history and significance of the names of God found in the Old Testament. During this series, we'll drill down into eight of the Hebrew names for God and learn what they reveal about who God is for us. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, we're grateful to be here with you in the house, as well as those of you who are online. We're, we're just grateful that we can come together and study God's Word. Now, let me uh, just think about this for a second. If, if people who know you best were asked what character attribute best describes you, what attribute would they choose? Faithful? Creative? Sincere? I mean, we could go on and on. You know, over the past seven weeks, we've looked at some of the ancient Hebrew names of God, and in many ways, they give us insight to the character of God and what he means to each one of us. From these names, we've learned that God is present with us. We've learned he's our provider. We've learned he's our banner. He's our healer. He's the God who sanctifies us. He's our peace. He's our good shepherd. And today we're going to look at the truth that he's our righteousness. So where do we get this name, the the Lord is our righteousness? Well, 300 years ago, the prophet Jeremiah was born, and Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom that retained the name Israel, and there was a southern kingdom that was called Judah. And later in his life, God commissioned Jeremiah to call out the people of both of those kingdoms for their unfaithfulness, their their spiritual adultery against God. And God's judgment of his people is a central theme in the book of Jeremiah, including the prophecy of the destruction of the kingdom of Judah. Yet, Jeremiah's prophecies are not all doom and gloom. There are also words of hope woven throughout his writings for instance, there's a prophecy that God, will, that God gives to Jeremiah that we will learn that the Lord is our righteousness. And that's where we get this name. And I want to read to you that scripture from the book of Jeremiah. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. And that day Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. So with the clarity that we have from history, we see that this is a foretelling of the coming of the Messiah. The one that we know is Jesus. Jeremiah says the name of this messianic king is the Lord is our righteousness. In Hebrew, That's the name Jehovah Siddick. Jesus the Messiah is Jehovah Siddick, our righteousness. But let's let's back up for a moment and let's consider what it means that the Lord is our righteousness. The the Hebrew word Siddick is usually translated as righteousness, but it can also be translated as honest, as right, as justice, as accurate, as just truth or integrity. 
Now, righteousness primarily involves being in a right standing with God. And, and as such, it concerns fulfilling the demands of a relationship with both God and with others. Now, though people were often called righteous in the Hebrew scriptures if they observed the law, Jesus and the writers of the New Testament letters stress that righteousness is not merely a matter of outward behavior, but it's a, it's a matter of the heart, of thoughts, of motives, of desires. The goal is not merely to do what God says, but to become like him. In the words of Addison Letch, uh, righteousness, he writes, is primarily and basically a relationship. It's never an attainment. Christian righteousness is a direction, a loyalty, a commitment, a hope, only someday an arrival. So that lays the groundwork for a, a very important sort of gut check for us today. Because the reality is this, and the Bible tells us this, no one is righteous. Hmm. In his letter to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul lays out this reality. He begins his letter telling us that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people because what may be known about God has been made plain to them. Now, Paul goes on in detail to illustrate how people know God, but they don't honor God with their lives. Then he goes on to point out that God will judge all people, both the Jews and the Gentiles, meaning both those who have been given the law of Judaism and those who don't know anything about the law. And, and in the third chapter of this letter, Paul makes a conclusion, and he quotes one of the Psalms of David. His conclusion is this. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And then quoting Psalm 14, he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Let that sink in. There is no one righteous, not even one. No one means not me. Not you, not your mother, nor your father, not the holiest person that you can think of. No one is righteous. Not one of us. Now, this is the story of the Bible and the story of humanity. You see, God made a covenant with Abraham and Sarah and their descendants, and God called and tested Abraham. And because Abraham believed God, he passed the test. And because of that faithful obedience to God, God declared that Abraham was righteous. And so he made a covenant with Abraham and Sarah and with their descendants to be their loving and faithful God. And they would be, their love, be the loving and faithful people to God. Ann Spangler writes this. In the years that followed, God kept his part of the covenant while Abraham's descendants broke it on a regular basis. Instead of living in the shelter of the righteous God, they worshiped false idols. Instead of following the law, they ignored the law, which meant it led them back and away from the greatest happiness God could give them at that time. 
They strayed and they couldn't find their way back. Still God came seeking them, ever faithful to the covenant that he made. God sent prophets to cry out to them. At times, God even afflicted them in an effort to bring them back. And he blessed them whenever they returned. But nothing worked for long. Israel's sin against their holy God called them down with an ancient curse. Now, what's that curse? The reality is, is that curse that came down on Israel has come down on us too. It's death. It's separation from God forever. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah saying this, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will listen. He will not listen anymore. You see, our sin has a consequence. Sin separates us from God now and forever. The Apostle Paul said, the wages of sin is death. As if Sin could earn a living. Its wage, its payment to us is our eternal separation from God. One writer points out, many people want to believe that God is so loving that he will overlook our little faults, our lapses, our indiscretions, little white lies, cheating on the tax return, taking the pen when no one is looking, or secretly viewing pornography. These are minor issues not worthy of death, right? That's what we think. The problem is sin is sin, whether it's big or small. Though God loves us, his holiness is such that he cannot live in the presence of evil, which sin is. The prophet Habakkuk writes, about God this way. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. God does not because he cannot ignore sin. Therefore, God has to deal with human sinfulness. And the very fact that God is righteous demands that unrighteousness be dealt with. And so he did. Again, Anne Spangler writes, but instead of tearing the oath breakers apart in accordance with the ancient rite of God's law, God himself took the brunt of the struggle against evil, absorbing the punishment in the body of his son, Jesus Christ, slaughtered on a cross. And this is why. Because Jesus Christ is the righteous one. Jesus is the righteous one. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples came to an understanding of why Jesus had to die. And what's more, they came to understand that his resurrection was more than just overcoming death. It was overcoming the power of sin to condemn us to eternal separation from God. The apostle John called Jesus the righteous one. Jesus, the son of God, came and lived on the earth as a human. And the Bible tells us that even though he was tempted to sin, he did not sin. Why is that important? 
Because God's justice for our sin required a perfect, sinless sacrifice to pay the price for the sins of the world once and for all. The Apostle Peter explains it this way. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So in taking the punishment we deserve, Jesus exchanged his righteousness for our sinful unrighteousness. And God offers that gift to us freely by believing that Jesus did this for us. The Apostle Paul explains, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then Paul writes, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So, Jesus Christ is Jehovah's Siddick, the Lord who is our righteousness. When we believe in him, Jesus forgives our sins and he imparts his righteousness to us. Years ago, Pastor Stuart Briscoe described this transaction in terms of banking. He said, Years ago, when I was a young banker, we used to use big leather ledgers where all of the accounts were entered by hand. And he said, I remember daydreaming about those ledgers and about God's ledgers in heaven of humans, of humanity's sinfulness. We're told those books will be opened one day, and I imagined my name, David Stewart Briscoe, and God adding up the sum total of my indebtedness because of my sin against him. I could never cancel the overwhelming amount of my indebtedness against him. In my mind's eye, I saw God take his pen and transfer the sum total of my indebtedness to the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the account of the Lord Jesus, he wrote, transferred from the account of David Stewart Briscoe. And I thought God was finished, but then I saw him do something incredible. He added up the total righteousness of Christ, and against it, he wrote these words transferred to the account of David Stewart Briscoe. That's what he writes on all of our accounts when we come to believe in Jesus and accept his sacrificial death for the payment of our sins. Jesus' righteousness is credited to us. But having that righteousness doesn't automatically change our thoughts our words, and our behaviors, making everything that we think and say righteous. The reality is that we're all sinners, and and that hasn't magically changed because we believed in Jesus. Uh, We haven't been instantly made righteous forever. No, the reality is still that we're in the process of becoming more like Jesus day by day, and sometimes we fail, and we must confess our sins. Why must we do that? Because it is in believing in Jesus that we might become the righteousness of God. But it's a daily process with stops and starts and even starting over when we sin and confess it. 
Faith in Jesus leads to following Jesus, and following Jesus leads to becoming more like Jesus. He's Jehovah's Siddick, the Lord our righteousness. And the righteousness that God offers through faith in Jesus does require that we actually respond. We have to respond to righteousness. Again, I want to return to the words of Ann Spangler, who wrote, the truth of the righteousness of God came to me recently while I was praying for someone who seemed far from God. And that's when I read these words from John Henry Newman. Uh, Newman writes, for it is in proportion as we search our hearts and understand our own nature in proportion as we comprehend the nature of disobedience and our actual sinfulness that we feel what is the blessing of the removal of sin, of redemption, of pardon, of sanctification, which otherwise would just be mere words. She writes, it suddenly occurred to me that I should pray not, for, not only for this young woman to know the love of Christ, but also for her to know the state of her own heart so that she could recognize the depth of her need. How could she find her way home if she didn't know she was lost? Jesus was a master storyteller. He used stories to illustrate powerful truths about human life and about our relationship with God. Jesus told a story that illustrates our unrighteousness and how God waits for us to recognize that we need to confess our sin and repent and come home. We know it as the story of the prodigal son. A few years ago, a short film was made that puts that story into more modern context that I think will connect with us in a powerful way. So I want to invite you to, to turn your eyes to the screen and watch this. Don't know really how you follow that. <laughs> um, the Bible tells us that we have a righteous father who's waiting for us to come to him. But we have to respond to him. The Bible also explains how we can respond. One option for our response could be that we just live however we want to live but our sins will separate us from God. Another option for a response could be that we can adopt the concept of righteousness based on doing more good deeds than bad deeds as we think naively that will somehow gain God's favor and let us spend forever with him, but it, but it won't. The final option for a response is that we can turn to Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who met the righteous requirements of the law on our behalf so that by believing in him, we can come home to God forever. Of course, it's that last choice. That's the right one. And the Bible explains it this way. Therefore, thou, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us 
We do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So I have to ask you, how will you respond? Will you go home to the waiting father and accept the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for you through his death on the cross and start following him in righteousness? Or will you do your own thing? Maybe you came home to that waiting father some time ago, but I have to ask you this. Will you continue to seek to live like Jesus every day? And will you share that good news with others so that they can find it too and come home? The reality is it's this, is that in Christ we have the Lord, our righteousness, Jehovah Siddick. So I want to invite you this morning to tell God what you want to do. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And that prayer will give you the opportunity to, to pray back to God some lines. You can put them in your own words. It's really important how you approach them from your heart, not the words that I give to you. And I invite you to pray those words. And if you do, please let us know because we want to put some material free of charge in your hand just so that it will encourage you in this new relationship with God. So here in the room and online, would you bow your heads? Father God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for your care for us. And we do want to come home to you now and forever. And so if you've never told God that you believe in Jesus and you want to and accept his forgiveness, just repeat these words or put them in your own words. Here's the first phrase. Dear God, I do believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay the price of my sins. And I believe he rose again from the dead and defeated the power of death and sin on our behalf. And now today, I desire to follow him all the days of my life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.